It's a privilege to open God's Word with you on this Easter Sunday morning. We're going to spend some time in the book of Acts together. Uh, The Acts of Jesus through the Apostles as recorded by Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be reading in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Now this may sound a little strange, but really none of us would be tuning in for worship, gathered together for worship, if not for Acts chapter 10. I know there are a lot of factors that contribute to us being together in God's sovereign plan. But in Acts 10, the Apostle Peter, who was one of the the first few entrusted with the gospel message, learns a very important lesson. He begins to understand that the gospel is not just for Jews. That someone doesn't have to become a Jew through circumcision or through some other rituals in order to hear and believe this message. And consequently, to receive the forgiveness and power that accompanies this message. And in chapter 10, the Lord prepares Peter to preach and he prepares Cornelius, the house of this Gentile God-fearer, to receive this good news. And so we're going to pick up in verse 33 of Acts 10, where Cornelius is finishing explaining to Peter why he has brought him to his house. Peter was in Joppa at the time, which is a town right along the Mediterranean Sea, and Cornelius is in Caesarea, which is also right on the water, about 34 miles north. And uh, so today, that would take you a little less than an hour to get from Jaffa to Caesarea, but in the first century, a good share of a day to walk. So Peter has made this unintended missionary journey uh, to Cornelius, who is speaking in verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord." So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The good news has come to the Gentiles. It has come to you and to me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for your word to us and this good news that it bears. You, Lord Jesus, are the living word. You have given your life and taken it up again for us. And we pray that you would guide us now as we meditate upon this word. Uh, Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Speak faithfully through your servant. Help us now to be attentive wherever we may be listening or watching as we participate in these moments through the reading and preaching of your word. 
O Christ, be glorified through it. We pray in your name. Amen. I learned over this last week that many churches were considering having an outdoor service, a drive-in service of some sort. And I'm very grateful for that, that so many of our brothers and sisters see the importance wanting to, to come together and, and be near each other uh, in worship. So as Heath and I were, were talking and preparing for uh, this service, and I'm, I'm reading this passage and thinking about it, uh, it actually led me to confess where I was carrying some pride, maybe some partiality in the recesses of my own heart. See, there, there will probably be folks gathered, maybe, maybe not on this morning with uh, the rain, but folks gathered kitty-corner to us, to our property at Rock City Harvest Church. And when their PA system is blaring, we can hear it pretty easily uh, over here. And so we adjusted you know, the time for our service uh, for that earlier. Um, and we want to be faithful to God's Word as a church. We are pursuing the the purity and the purpose of the church. We do what we do in worship for a reason. But what can start to happen? You, you probably know what, what I needed to confess. Well, maybe God will pay a little more attention to what's happening in this parking lot than in that parking lot. You know, maybe... You know, I'm the kind of person, we're the kind of people that God would pay a little more attention to, right? You know, we pray for His presence, we pray for His mercy, and yet deep down we kind of expect it. We can slip into this trap of favoritism, thinking that God is more predisposed toward us and toward our ways. I mean, we're a Reformed church after all. Why would you need to drive anyplace else? The Lord had to check that attitude in me this last week. And he used the experience and preparation of Peter to do that. Wherever there are people, not just certain types of people or certain classes of people or people with certain experiences, wherever there are people, the gospel can be received. The gospel is proclaimed. And so these verses give us a pretty straightforward gospel presentation, but they tell us what the Apostle Peter considered essential to that gospel message. If these are important elements to Peter and sharing the gospel with a Gentile audience, then they're important elements for us to consider and give special attention to. So we see in his experience both, both Peter and Cornelius a gospel preparation and gospel proclamation. The Lord is preparing Peter, a devout Jew, and this Gentile audience for the gospel message. Both Cornelius and Peter have received a vision. This is earlier in the chapter. Cornelius receives a vision from the Lord to send men and collect Peter, bring him back to his house. Peter receives a vision, the same vision three times to really bring home the point to him where he sees all these different kinds of animals laid out before him. Animals that he would normally have nothing to do with. You'd never find these on Peter's dinner plate. But God says to him, Peter, kill and eat. I determine what is clean. And these are acceptable to me. You may have never considered these, but I consider them highly. That is the message to Peter. And while he is sort of scratching his head, wondering if you know, Simon the Tanner may have switched out his drinks or something, 
That's when the men of Cornelius appear at the house. And the Spirit tells Peter, go with these men. And he doesn't know why exactly yet. But he has that time to think about it on this journey. In the meantime, Cornelius is preparing his own house. And we have examples of the Lord appearing to seemingly random people in the Bible. Cornelius is not just a random person. He's a military officer, so we know that he has some authority and responsibility for other people. But more importantly, he's a God-fearer. He's not a Jew, but he prays to the God of the Jews. He gives money to the work of the synagogue. He's highly respected by the Jewish people. So God sees Cornelius and is preparing him and his family for what is to come. You just think, what a welcome for Peter. What an incredible welcome for any teacher, preacher, evangelist. The room is full of folks who really want to hear what he has to say. They have come just expecting to hear this word from the Lord. They're anticipating this. The Lord has been working in them, prepping the soil of their hearts to hear this message. And so when Peter sees this and he hears what has happened, then he puts the pieces together. God has prepared this family, He's prepared him for this very moment. He shows no favorites. The gospel message is to be given to all those made in the image of God. Deuteronomy 10 uh, the Lord reminds the people of Israel that He is their deliverer, that He's chosen them uh, to make His name known. Not because they happen to be His favorites, but because He's gracious and merciful. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. God's intention has always been to extend His love and to extend His grace to all peoples, to the world over. He is Lord of all, as Peter highlights in verse 36. And those that those that Peter would previously have nothing to do with, now he is to have everything to do with because Jesus is Lord of all. Now, church, this should really humble us in our witness. It should grow a love and a compassion for the lost, for those who have not heard this gospel message, okay, who do not have the hope that we have on a morning like this. Why? Because that is who we are and who we were apart from Christ. We need to see ourselves as those made clean by the grace of God, not because He has you know, expressed some favoritism. Okay, we're, we're actually those reptiles in, in Peter's vision, those creeping things. That's, that's who we are. And God declares us clean. That's the only way that we or anyone else could be saved. God extends His grace to those who belong to Him. This good news is for all who come to Jesus. This pandemic may provide some unique opportunities for us to 
to share this hope and the life we have in Christ with family members, with friends, those in our community. And the Lord is he's working the soil here. He's preparing those that we may never expect to hear this message. So keep your eyes and ears open. I know it's hard to, to have those in-person conversations right now, but we're on the phone. We're on the computer. We can share God's grace. We can pray God's grace with those around us. We also see the real importance here of God's preparation and preparing ourselves to hear a word from Him. Are, are we taking the initiative and actually wanting to hear God's word to us. I mean, things really start to happen as God prepares both the messenger and those receiving the message. We're all here in the presence of God, Cornelius said, almost like the military commander that he is. All present and accounted for, Peter, to hear what you have to say. Take some some preparation, willingness, maybe even to, to tune in, to participate in worship on a morning like this, to gather together. Do we come expectant with hearts prepared to hear and respond to God's Word? I'm praying that though we are unable to gather for worship in small small groups, uh, in our community groups, gathering together on a Sunday morning, that our desire for that time will continue to grow. That we will see our need and just long to be together again. The very opposite could happen. It could you know, well, we haven't been to church in weeks and I'm feeling really tired this weekend and I'll just, I'll just tune in online. Don't listen to that voice. But let's pray that the Lord would, would guard our hearts against this consumer mode and turn worship into more of a spectator sport. Let's pray for a renewed desire to gather and be, be present under the authority of God's Word, to grow as worshipers and not just spectators of worship. It's that very point, the authority of God's Word that takes us from a gospel preparation to proclamation. And There's actually a challenge here, maybe another challenge. It's implicit, but it's a challenge to us nonetheless. The very posture of Cornelius and his family challenges every one of us to receive this message from the Apostle to receive this gospel as the Word of God. God makes Himself known, and He makes His purposes known through the preaching, through the teaching of His Word. And He's doing that right now, just as He did in the first century. So let's hear the good news. Maybe afresh this morning, what the Apostle includes to draw us to Jesus, to deepen our faith. Peter starts by saying this good news. Uh, It's everywhere. It's on all the stations. They have heard uh, what has happened throughout Judea and how God has appointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. When did that happen? When did God appoint Jesus for this? Well, it was at the baptism of Jesus, which is interesting. You know, how many gospel presentations have you heard or given that included the baptism of Jesus? Probably not very many. And yet it's, It's the place where all four of the Gospels start. They they have a lot more in common than just that. But it's the first event that they all share. And we're used to hearing about the baptism of Jesus as this is how Jesus identifies with us, how He identifies with His people. 
Uh, He can identify with our human condition that needs washing, even though Jesus was sinless and did not need the washing away of sin, which is certainly true, but more to Peter's point is the approval of Jesus by God the Father. Here Jesus is visibly and divinely appointed by the Father. He's not on his own in this. He was approved by the triune God. And then verse 38, he continues with his public ministry. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this broken world. Now the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, those possessed by demons are freed. Jesus is showing his great power over Satan. He's infinitely more powerful than the evil one who is out to destroy in this cosmic battle that is uh, ongoing. He shows that he is Lord and there is no other. And the apostle mentions these miracles of Jesus, the good deeds of Jesus, but he doesn't mention specifically the teaching of Jesus. We know that Jesus did a lot of teaching in the New Testament. He really explained about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to to live as part of this kingdom or um, those who are not. You say, well, why doesn't Peter mention this? Seems like he left out quite a bit. And we don't know exactly, but again, let's consider this Gentile audience. Here's, Here's something to consider as to maybe why he left that out. The need to receive Jesus comes before receiving the teachings of Jesus. We could argue that, that someone, until someone knows and believes what Jesus has accomplished, they are really not ready to hear the instruction. They're even not capable of responding with grateful obedience. Something has to change before we are ready to listen and respond. We just finished another book as a family from the Mysterious Benedict Society. It's story about Nicholas Benedict. He's a young boy who is an orphan, but he's also a genius. His, uh, his narcolepsy can get in the way a little bit. If he gets really angry or fearful, he'll fall asleep just like that. But Nicholas can read a story and remember everything word for word in that book. He can read books really, really fast. And so uh, he's extremely knowledgeable and he can solve a problem. He's looked at it from every angle before any of the other characters even know that there's a problem. So he's always ahead of the game. But nine-year-old Nicholas is convinced that all adults are just predominantly self-centered. They look out for themselves and they'll do what needs to be done in their own best interest. He's convinced of that. It's all he's ever known as an orphan. And so Nicholas, he, he runs away from the pain of the orphanage that he's in. He ends up on the train And on the train, he meets Mr. Harrington. And Mr. Harrington is an adult unlike any other adult that Nicholas has met. Mr. Harrington sits down and he's genuinely interested in what Nicholas has to say. He wants to listen and he wants to help Nicholas. Not because there is anything in it for him. He shows him this kindness. And that really um, really just blows Nicholas's mind and it blows his heart. Something was different. He'd always just relied on himself to solve a problem for his own interests. 
but something has changed. And so he tells Mr. Harrington, sir, I need to go back to the orphanage. Knowing that he would be punished when he went back, but now he was going to go and solve problems to help other people and not just for his own self-interests. Turning to Jesus, repenting and looking to Christ in faith comes first, and then a response to his love. And there's a clear danger if this doesn't happen, and you start to see that. And we could start to believe that being a good Christian will just means that you're a really, really nice person. Or you're just doing good, just doing you know, what Jesus taught. Say, well, well, of course he or she is a good Christian. Look at and fill in that blank. And it can build these layers of self-righteousness. And so before we get to WWJD, what would Jesus do? We need to embrace WHJD. What has Jesus done? In union with Christ by faith, we can respond in obedience. So this shifts our boasting. It shifts all the glory to Christ where it rightfully belongs. Peter's next point in this gospel message is the death of Jesus and the cruelty of the crucifixion. That's something that's been on our minds this last week, certainly where we left on Friday evening. And earlier in the week, the U.S. Surgeon General was quoted as saying that this week, or this last week, could be the hardest and saddest week in most Americans' lives. And no doubt that has been true. It's been the case for many who have suffered from this illness or succumbed to this illness, family members who have had to watch from a distance. But no one has faced a more difficult week of hurt and sadness and pain than Jesus on the road to the cross. He endured this death willingly, not for himself, but for us. Jesus took the law of God, the law that condemns us, and nailed it to that cross. Now just imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine that there is one person in this world right now who would take all the, the, the worst of COVID-19 Upon themselves. Let's just give this person a name. We'll call her Angela. Angela is in this world right now, and she will be intentionally injected with this virus, knowing that within an hour she will be dead. But after Angela dies, and there will be no other cases of COVID 19, there will be no other deaths in the entire world once this happens. Now, if everyone on the planet knew who Angela was, and they knew where she lived, do you think that would change anything? Might we be thankful? Might we respond with maybe even shedding a few tears of gratitude for what Angela was willing to do? This is what Jesus has done with the disease of our sin. Far more deadly than COVID could ever be with an impact that spans eternity. How will we respond? Are we grateful? Will we examine our ways and return to the Lord? Because Jesus is Lord of all, His sacrifice has has a greater value. It has a sufficiency like no other sacrifice could have. His death 
brings peace. Peace with our God. There's a wonderful little book on the nature and the practice of lament called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's by Mark Rogoop. And I've read only portions of this book. But Mark shares the horrendous experience that he and his wife went through in holding a stillborn child and having to bury that child. They named this little girl Sylvia. A child that they had waited for and prayed for for so long. And on Sylvia's grave marker, they have inscribed the words of Job 1.21 where it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Mark writes that he, as hard as it is to go back to that grave marker, he will go back and he will, he will shout, this is not over. This is not over. One day God will make this right. Jesus will make it right. And it's true. It's true because of what has happened on this morning so long ago. Peter can't leave this out. The tomb is empty. The resurrection of Jesus, it takes a central place in God's unfolding plan. He rose from the dead, appeared to the apostles. He ate and drank with them. Peter emphasizes that. This was not a hallucination. This was not some sort of wishful thinking or just this sentiment that Jesus you know, is alive in their hearts because they miss Him so much. No, this was an actual resurrection of an actual real body. They sat in the upper room and they ate and drank with Jesus. I think it helps us understand why being together in worship is so important. Why communing together is so important. I mean, we can worship privately, but we're, we're learning. and We know that it's just not the same when we can gather and actually see each other or hear each other. I mean, it reinforces the realness of the body of Christ. And it's not just by our experience. This is existential. In our very being, there is a disconnect, a fracture that no online environment could ever replace. But Jesus is alive, and because He is alive, there is forgiveness and life in His name. He is restoring His bride, body and soul. May they be one, even as we are one, Jesus prays to the Father. So may these days just grow that longing in us. Oneness with our God and with each other. So the apostles can now put this whole picture together and testify that Jesus is both Savior and Judge on the last day. And it may be tempting for us at times you know, to sort of get creative with the Gospel. And by that I don't mean being creative in presenting the gospel message, but adding or subtracting things from the gospel in order to make it more palatable or more uh, you know, relevant. But Peter shows us what is important to this message. What God uses, continues to use to, to change people's lives. Cornelius and his family, they didn't need to become Jews. But they did need to hear and believe this message. And when they do, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that fills you and fills me when we look to Jesus with eyes of faith. So the gospel of peace has come to us. We are here in worship because of Acts 10. 
You don't need to drive to a certain parking lot. You don't need to be a part of a certain denomination. When this gospel of the risen Christ is proclaimed and received by faith, you too are included in this worldwide, multicultural, multi-generational, growing church in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! He is risen, and He is Lord of all. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is our, our prayer, our proclamation, and our praise to You that You have taken Your life up again, O Christ, and You have given us life. Lord, we thank You that we can celebrate this great truth and this victory that is ours in the Lord Jesus on this day. Lord, we're missing being together. We miss seeing and hearing one another connected within the body, and so we look to You and trust You. We lean into You in the union that we have by Your Holy Spirit. Go before us in this day and in this week as we respond to the covenant love and life that we have in Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.